much, choir. Thank you for all the people who were involved this morning who in every way made this wonderful service, this wonderful message, and uh, shared with us. I just want to share a few comments from God's Word as we conclude our time together. And first of all, I do want to issue an apology for some of you, because I know some of you didn't mind it so much. But you may have noticed, if you've come here with any regularity, that it's a little warmer in here today. And it's a little warmer for, for whatever reason, even though we have a, a new HVAC system, it chose not to work on us this morning. And I've been working with our tech on it, and it was one of those things where we tried everything that we could, and it's just a little warmer in here today. So for some of you, it's the first time in a while you're comfortable. And for you, I say Merry Christmas. This is my Christmas present. For others of you, I apologize for the warmth. I put on my sweater today. It's colder outside, and I don't know. It just it, it is what it is for today. So we apologize for the war or that it's a little warmer. I promise I'll do all that I can to get you out of here a little bit sooner because of that. But as we conclude our time, I just want to share a few more thoughts from God's Word with you. From the message that the choir just sang to us, that's a sermon in and of itself, and it shares with us the true meaning of the Christmas season. But I want to focus our time just briefly on the last uh, song that we sang, Joy to the World. This is a hymn that we sing during this time of year, and if you'd like to follow along, you can look for a large book. It's called Hymns of Grace in the Chairs in Front of You, and it's number 224. This hymn was written by an Englishman named Isaac Watts all the way back in 1719, and it was a paraphrase of Psalm 98. The first verse says, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. And it repeats that phrase a few times. First, let's talk about the earth and for our need for a king. We need a king. We need a true king, and this world around us is a place of turmoil, of strife, and it's a world that, because we're all imperfect and marked by the stain of sin, we try to go our own way, and yet we often find, as we try to go our own way, it doesn't go the way that we planned. We are in need of a king, of someone to lead us, and of someone who leads us in the way of truth. This sin problem that we have has affected all of us since our birth. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that man being Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. The Bible shares with us, you've heard today, that we are sinners, that we are in need of a king, of a savior, to save us from our sin. Now this king, the one that is referenced here, is the perfect God of the universe, the only one who is truly worthy of our worship. God is perfect, and we are not. Romans 3.23 shares with us that all of us have sinned, and that we fall short of God's glory, of his perfect standard. Now this sin problem that we have isn't simply a new problem today, that problem has plagued us for generations and generations back to Adam. It's something that the people that we read about in the Bible, the people that we 
heard or that were sung about today experienced as well. Yet we can sing joy to the world because of this triumphal arrival, the arrival of Jesus Christ, this king who left the glories of heaven to be born in the most humble of places. And you can imagine with me that the arrival of the Lord, of this perfect king, would be met with joy as this shares with us by both heaven and nature. Finally, there would be one who would be able to give us the direction that we need. Finally, there would be one who could be a true example to us. Finally, one who is worthy of our worship and who is worthy for us to receive in our hearts and follow. One who is not tainted by sin or by corruption. Truly, we can sing joy to the world because the Lord has come. John 1, 9 says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Yet Jesus didn't leave the glories of heaven simply to come down and teach us some good moral things and to live amongst us. No, the Bible shares with us that Jesus left the glories of heaven to save us because we are a people that is in need of saving. The second verse shares joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. If someone in here today were to be rescued from peril or from certain death, there would be much joy and rejoicing in this room. And this song is referring to the Savior who has performed that rescuing act for us. Jesus came to save us from our sin, and he did that by paying the penalty for it, by dying on a cross. The Bible shares with us that Jesus is perfect, that he's holy, that he is sinless, that he is the only person to ever be born of a virgin. He does not have that stain of sin that you and I have. Jesus decided, though, that he would die he would decided that he would leave the glories of heaven, that he would follow in obedience his Father's commands so that we might live. Jesus died so that we could live. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that the only one who could save us from our sin, that Savior, has arrived we sing, let him reign. Let the earth be filled with gladness. Let everything celebrate and cry out because Jesus has come. At the, near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he rode into Jerusalem where we read in Luke 19, 37 through 40, as he was, wandering, as he was drawing near already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. If these disciples who had seen the mighty, miraculous works of Jesus 
did not praise him, nature itself would. Verse 3 shares with us, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. As we move to this third of four verses, it speaks to the reversal of the curse that has happened as a result of sin. With the arrival of Jesus, this process was initiated. Because with Jesus' arrival and payment for our sins, then, we could be forgiven. The Holy Spirit, then, would be unleashed to take up residence in God's people. And the teachings that Jesus gave us in his earthly life, we would be able to follow. Romans 8.1 shares with us that there is therefore no condemnation, there is no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. In John chapter 11, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? The woman that Jesus was talking to then said this. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you believe that? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he has come into the world to save you from your sins. Yet, Jesus' promise, God's promise to us through Jesus Christ is not simply to save us from their sins. What's more, God's promise is to obliterate that curse of sin completely. And when Jesus returns, Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God's promise is to save us through his son, Jesus Christ, and it's to give us an inheritance unlike anything that we could imagine as we are in heaven with him forever. That's why that verse shares with us that we don't need to anymore let sins or sorrows grow because of the great inheritance that we can find as followers of Jesus Christ. Finally, the final verse of the song shares with us this, that he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. The way the world works is that we make a law and that we demand obedience to that law. The world wants to tell us what truth is and that we demand it and demand that we obey it under fine of or under threat of imprisonment or death or fine the world changes the meaning of what truth is to culturally fit what they want it to mean at that time yet the bible tells us that jesus is not like this he rules the world with complete with absolute truth and grace 
First, this means that what God says is true, and it's always true. It's completely 100% true. Nothing that God says cannot be anything except absolute truth. God is our creator and the very author of what is true, but he also rules with grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God that is gifted to us every single day. The air that we're breathing in our lungs right now, all of creation that we enjoy, from the beautiful snow that we've seen this morning to the colder weather, to the ability to gather together in fellowship, all of these gifts are wonderful graces of God. We can see and experience these things, yet the greatest grace, the greatest gift that we can ever see or that we can ever receive is through the sacrifice of God's Son, Jesus Christ. It continues on to say that he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. I'm sure if we were to go around this room, we could share example an example after example of the glories and wonders of God's love. The glories of God are shown time and time again as he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is sovereign. He is ruling and reigning over all things. And he works all things for his glory. And despite the sinfulness of this world around us, despite the wickedness of the nations, God receives glory over all things. And so this Christmas season, as we think of these truths, as the, of these realities that were sung this morning, that we see within this song that we sang together, we know that those who embrace God's truth and grace by trusting and following Jesus Christ, will shine the glory of God's righteousness and display the wonders of his love here on the earth. The Bible shares with us that followers of Jesus Christ will come from every nation, tribe, and tongue, as Revelation 7-9 shares with us. So as we conclude our time, I just have a couple of questions for you. The first is this. Who is this Jesus to you? The choir has shared, and we've heard narration, giving us the gospel account from the book of Luke, where we can see that Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, left the glories of heaven and came here. He did so, again, to be our Savior, to fulfill the command that his Father gave him. So will you make the decision to follow Jesus Christ today? Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter how many times that you've walked into a church building, doesn't matter your background or anything else. The Bible shares that all that we have to do is to call upon the name of the Lord, and God, through Jesus Christ, will save us. When we do that, we have that wonderful inheritance that we just talked about. For some of you, this is the first time you're hearing this message, but for others of you, you've heard it many, many times. It doesn't matter how many times that you've heard it. It just matters that you make that personal commitment. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you after the service is over, I'll be out in the back by the doors. I'd love to chat with you. Pastor Aaron, who shared in an announcements and in the lighting of the candles, he'll be here in the front. We'd love to share with you how you can have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. 
as we go through this Christmas season, truly we see that that's the only thing that's going to fill that God-shaped void. No other presence, no other toy, no other gift. But for those of us in the room who have called upon the name of the Lord for salvation, this for many of us is just a really stressful time of the year, isn't it? I mean, this last week, I haven't felt this stressed in a while, and I don't have near the Christmas responsibilities as some of you. It seems like there is activity after activity, thing after thing going on. But yet as we hear truth from God's word this morning, we remember the true meaning of this season. And let's take some time this morning to really focus our week ahead on what this season is all about. Let's remember as we have been studying that hope has come. It happened, as the choir shared with us, in a moment And yet, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can have hope through the grace that we have received during this season. So let's be hopeful this season. Let's share that hope and that truth with others. As I conclude our time, I want to share with you a devotional that I've been reading during this Christmas season. Last year, a member here in our church gave me this book. It's called, Come, Let Us Adore Him. And it's an Advent devotional by Paul Tripp. And as I was reading through this devotional, the seventh day of the devotional really stuck with me, and I wanted to close by sharing it with you. It shares with us this, If you had to summarize the Christmas story with one word, what would you choose? Now your word would have to capture what this story points to as the core of human need as the way God would meet that need. Do you have a word in mind? Maybe you're thinking that it's just not possible to summarize the greatest story ever with one word, but I think that you can. Let's consider one lovely, amazing, history-changing, and eternally significant word. It doesn't take paragraph after paragraph, written on page after page, filling volume after volume to communicate how God chose to respond to the outrageous rebellion of Adam and Eve and the subtle and not-so-subtle rebellion of everyone since. God's response to the sin of people against his rightful and holy rule can be captured in a single word. I wonder if you thought, I know that word, grace. But the single word that captures God's response to sin even better than the word grace is not a theological word. It's a name. And that name is Jesus. God's response wasn't a thing. It wasn't the establishment of an institution. It wasn't the process of intervention. It wasn't some new divine program. In his infinite wisdom, God knew that the only thing that could rescue us from ourselves and to repair the horrendous damage that sin had done to the world was not a thing at all. It was a person, his son, the Lord Jesus. God's response to our rebellion was to give us himself. He is the great, redeeming, transforming gift. He is the rescue. He is the forgiveness. He is the restoration. He is life, hope, peace, and security. There is no salvation apart from him. 
There is no deliverance from the presence and the power of sin apart from him. There is no restored relationship with God apart from him. There is no new heaven and no new earth apart from him. There is no end to sickness and suffering apart from him. There is no defeat of death apart from him. There is simply is no such thing as redeeming grace and all that it means apart from the willingness of God to give himself in the person of the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God given to sinners who cannot free themselves from the death grip of sin. Look into that manger at the baby boy and see grace. The Christmas story is about grace in its most shocking and surprising form. The Lord of Lords, one of incalculable glory, humbles himself and takes on human flesh and blood. The Creator, in a way that boggles the mind, becomes the created. The one who made a perfect world now exposes himself to a world stained with imperfections. The judge of all things places himself under judgment. The one who deserves worship becomes the lamb of sacrifice. The one who deserves everyone's love subjects himself to being despised and rejected. The one who owns all things lives with no place to call home and no place to rest his weary head. Here in one single word, the name Jesus is the shocking turn in the redemption story. In sovereignty and with power, God would respond to the, star, the sorry condition of his world. With holy authority, he would deal with the image bearers who had turned their backs on him. Yet he would deal with the ravages of sin, not with the tools of judgment, but with a single tool of grace, Jesus. You simply cannot use the word grace without connecting that word to Jesus. Yes, it needs to be said again and again and again, Jesus is the grace of God to sinners. Without his life, death, and resurrection, grace would be a sentiment devoid of any helpfulness. Without the grace of Jesus, grace would be promise with no power. Without the presence, life, and work of that baby in the manger, there is no light at the end of the tunnel for sinners. There is no happy ending for rebels. There is no home waiting for the lost. There is only darkness, defeat, judgment, and death. This season, in the midst of all the celebrations and gift-giving, be careful to remember that at the center of what we celebrate is one game-changing, life-altering, hope-giving reality. Grace is a person, and his name is Jesus. God knew that nothing else would ever repair what sin had broken, so he gave us the ultimate gift of gifts, the gift of his Son. It is not enough to say that Jesus came to preach grace to us. It is not enough to say that he came to give grace to us. No, Jesus is God's redeeming grace given to those who without him would have no hope in life or in death. Now that's worth celebrating. Not just on one special day, but on every day of your life and for the rest of eternity too. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, truly it is a joy this morning to gather together. Lord, we thank you for these choir members, for their 
diligence and work and using the tools that you have given them to be able to minister to us in song this morning. Lord, there are many folks that prepared spending much time through narration, through PowerPoint slides, through AV, through singing, through working on a solo, through instrumentation, through directing. Lord, we thank you for each of these folks and the blessing that they have been to us today. We thank you for allowing them to point us to our hope, the reason that we celebrate this season, a hope that is much greater than any Christmas present that we could ever enjoy, a hope that is found through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if there would be one who would not know who Jesus Christ is as their Savior from sin, that they would not leave here today without having a personal relationship with him. Lord, I pray for those who are believers in this room this morning, that in the midst of just everything going on this season, help us to stop to remember that in a moment, hope has come, that his name is Jesus, and truly his birth, his sacrifice for us is something worth celebrating, not simply just today, but each and every day. May we do that, and may we bring you glory in all things. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.